okay, there was a guy in college, and we knew early on in his career he had a few head injuries, a few few bad ones. He got knocked unconscious before he was snoring a few times. And after that, he was around practice. He was around, but he wasn't around too much um, for a few years. And his senior year, he came back and started playing. When he came back, you knew that he wasn't himself. Um, he was always by himself. You see him over there, like talking to himself at times. And that's not the person that we knew when he first came in. He was always really up and joking around with everyone. You know how it is when you guys, everyone's hanging around, everyone's kind of in, in, in the whole locker room, kind of had little groups talking. And, and I know with us at Rutgers, we had different cubby areas. So your, your, your little cohort area was where you could, the guys you kind of got close to because you're always around each other. And he wasn't really talking to anyone. He would come in there and um, and me as one of, I, one of the captains on the team, I pulled him aside and started talking to him. And even when I was talking to him, it didn't make sense at all what he was saying. And I brought it up to the head coach. They sent him out to get help and no one's ever really seen him since. Um, that's the part that's kind of scary about it. My Gementos podcast is meant to help you name, identify, and understand the disorders that are prevalent in our society. We also strive to help you to understand the science behind the disorders and also understand what it may mean for you, your life, and your loved ones. The concept of mental health is way too broad and ambiguous, and so Mind Your Mental's podcast is here to help you demystify, untangle, and overall just simplify the entire process. Mental health is far from an easy topic, but yo, trust us, we got you. So make sure that you tune in every other Sunday to go on a new journey with Tim, Mal, and their featured guests. Yo, check it. This is the My Gementals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Tune in, check in, subscribe, but mostly My Gementals. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Really excited today to have this conversation. Well, I'm always excited, um, but our conversation today is going to continue to revolve around mental health as always. We're really talking about it from the standpoint of mental health with professional and, and uh, college athletes. Um, and really talking about what goes on behind the scenes for players um, that are also being able to accomplish on the field, but like have things going on as well in their own personal lives. And so today we are joined by Dr. Coakley and also by Desmond Wynn and Tim as always. Uh, Tim, how's everything going on your end, bro? Every, everything is beautiful. Everything is great on this side. Um, still riding the wave of a Big Ten championship. So, you know, I'm, I'm good today. I'm good. I'm a little under the weather, but I feel really good. That's just carrying me right now. <laughs> <laughs> And so, Dr. Coakley, I uh, wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself really quickly. Hi, everyone. My name is Stephanie Coakley. I am the Senior Associate Athletic Director for Mental Health, Wellness, and Performance at Temple University. In addition to that, I'm also the Director and the Founder of Maximum Mental Training Associates. I work primarily with athletes in the mental health and well-being space, primarily at Temple. I work with them. Um, trying to cope with a number of factors. Big factor recently, pandemic, but pandemic related to everything else that they have to do and have to be to all the people they have to do and be these things for. So that's what a large part of my work involves, just helping people learn to cope. And then with my 
private practice, maximum mental training associates. I work with athletes who just want to be great and who want to who want to be able to capitalize on the power that their mind possesses by developing mental tools to help them consistently perform at a high level. Thank you both for having me on the show. I'm really grateful. Thanks. Absolutely. And thank you for being here. And uh, Desmond, um, would you mind introducing yourself? Yes. My name is uh, Desmond Wynn. I'm a former football player, played college at Rutgers, which now we're in the, uh, the Big Ten. So Tim and I are now rivals. Uh, <laughs> I played for Tampa Bay. Until I got hurt, so I had a career in the back injury. Uh, now I work in the school setting, the behavioral health setting. For previously known as Camelot, uh, we just got bought up by another company. So I, I primarily deal with the youth, um, the inner city youth in Philly, who uh, the one who everyone kind of really turned turned their backs on. Um, and I love just helping the kids and just trying to make a change in maybe one or two with other lives, because that's that's something positive, um, especially in the field that I work in. So um, thank you guys for having me. And I'm really looking forward to to definitely sharing some of my personal experiences and just hearing a lot of other experiences. So thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Daz. And I just want to say, man, I go hard for Rutgers on this podcast, bro. So it's nice to have somebody that's not Michigan on here. Tim that had all his Michigan homies on the show already. <laughs> So, you. you know what I mean? Are you? I'm glad to have somebody <laughs> on here repping, man. You know, I have to wear a red, red shirt, man. No. <laughs> All right, don't forget about Temple. No, no, of course not. Of course not. That's that's the hometown. That's the hometown university. But uh, yes, my 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 younger, he's like my younger brother. He used to play for Rutgers years ago. Uh, he played offensive line. Shout outs to Hugh Ahern. So I'm always going hard for Rutgers too. Hugh? You know Hugh Ahern? Yeah, that's my little brother, man. I didn't know Hugh since he was nine years old, man. Yeah, I know you. Yeah. Yeah. He was younger than I know you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we also have Mr. Dominique Curry here. Wanted to give him a chance to introduce himself as well. What's going on, y'all? Uh, named Dom Curry from Philly. Um, former former NFL player. Uh, played with the Rams, the uh, Panthers, and the Lions. And now I'm a current uh, wide receiver coach for St. Joe's Prep. And also coach uh, E9, E9 Eagles, 13U, national champions. All right. Shout out to the national champions. Dom, thank you for being here today. And so, Tim, um, I will let, let's just go ahead and, and dive into the questions that we have for our panelists. And thank you all for joining us today. And for everybody listening, thank you for tuning in. So we really, uh, as we, as the Monumental you know, podcast has evolved, one of the things that Mal and I have been discussing is mental health and um, professional athletes and collegiate athletes as well. Um, and so for Dom and um, Desmond, Dom, we'll start with you. When you were growing up in your early years, um, Dom, what did uh, sports mean to you and who first introduced you to sports? Uh, so my, my dad first introduced me to sports, but it kind of was already ran through in my family. Um, because my dad played played college basketball and uh, professionally overseas. And then my aunt, she played college basketball and professionally overseas as well. So I was introduced at a very young age. But what it meant to me, it meant, it meant discipline. Um, it meant discipline because kids in the back just dancing around. <laughs> it meant discipline. Right, for real. <laughs> because... Um, Without, without being disciplined and to my craft, I wouldn't be able to do anything else. Like uh, being disciplined to study and being disciplined to make sure I'm showing up on time, 
um, being disciplined to study and film, it just carried throughout my life. Whereas still, to this day, I use those those skills and those things that was installed in me from from sports. So, Daz, what about you? What does sports mean to you? And who first introduced you to, to sports? Uh, let's see, my whole family played sports. Um, mainly it was mainly uh, baseball. So actually, people didn't know I actually grew up playing baseball until I got four scholarships to my high school to play baseball. I had never played football or basketball before a day in my life. Um, so everyone thought that I was going to end up playing baseball and play like pro. That's That was my goal. Um, and my family was telling me, hey, Dad, you have a chance of doing this. Um, this is your, your way of getting to college and your way of getting out. It was either that or join the Army or Marines, one, one of the armed forces. So, um, and that was my, my way of, of getting out. Um, and it, it gave me structure. It gave me a lot of structure growing up because um, it, it taught me how to work together as a, in a group setting. Um, it taught me how to um, just really work hard towards your, your goals. I mean, of course, everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to make it somewhere. But it, it's hard when you got to put, put, that, put that time in. Um, you have to put that all your sacrifice. So um, I would say people who really showed me sports are my dad and my and my and my and my grandfather. Um, my my dad, of course, he always wanted me to play football, but football cost too much growing up. Um, when I was coming up, my dad, we don't have the money to play. It's just you got to play baseball. It was cheaper, and I was good at baseball. And then when I got to high school, of course, it was free, and I was bigger, so I said I'll try it out, and everything worked out in my favor from there. But uh, me and my dad, and my grandfather, the ones who um, showed, showed me sports and really every every single day in the yard working with me, whether it be throwing or once I started playing football, working on my stance, working on just change the direction and things like that. So my dad, my grandfather and uh, his structure is what football, sports came. I'm not going to lie. I would have loved to seen a, a six, eight. Because <laughs> if you guys don't know, Daz is about six eight, so I love to see Daz in the mound somewhere. <laughs> oh man! Uh, but I mean, you guys brought up some things that I'm going to bring up later. We talk about discipline, structure, getting out. I want to talk about that getting out a little bit more. But uh, the, for Dr. Copley, what sparked your first interest in working with athletes? It's a good question. I've always been an athlete myself even though I didn't play football <laughs> but I played I guess I was more jack of all trades um, coming from the Bahamas you know 30 years ago sports even in the Bahamas they've grown in the last 30 years to be more organized so me growing up it wasn't a hugely organized effort but I, I always participated in sports um, as a student. My sports really were like field hockey. I did a little bit of track and field um, and softball. So I've always been, you know, my dad used to be the president of the Softball Association of the Bahamas, so, or New Providence, which is where I'm from. So I've always been around it. I'd be at the park at least three, four times a week. So always been around sports, but uh, my family really didn't push me in that direction at all. That was just not a thing that I guess my family did, also me being a woman, that wasn't something they pushed me to do as a woman. Um, anything I did sports-wise was usually pretty much frowned upon by my family, but I did it anyway. And so always been in out and about active, but always wanted to work in the field of psychology and always wanted to help. So because my athletic endeavors and pursuits were not really encouraged, certainly I went the other way. So I went towards my academic side and continued my journey through academics to get my 
master's in counseling. And uh, I did that for a long time working just kind of like, like Desmond out in Philly, working in West Philly, North Philly, Northeast, like just working with families who've been traumatized, victims of violence. Um, if you know anything about that work, it's hard. Um, it's really, it takes a, a toll on you. And I became pretty burnt out <laughs> after about 10 years. And um, it was then, you know, I, I decided I wanted to go back to school, but I felt I had enough of the education in terms of like the psychological and the counseling area. And I wanted to do something else. So that's when I made my little pivot to exercise and sports science. And based on my, you know, being around athletes, being, um, being a big, huge sports fan, I noticed that athletes, like they were neglected in this mental health space. Like nobody was talking about mental health and people who perform on the gridiron, the court, the track, nobody was doing that. So I, you know, I had a little epiphany <laughs> and I said, well, why not devote my helping side to people who are currently being ignored? And certainly I love sport and I love, you know, being active. So it just made sense. It was a natural fit. So that's how I got it. I got into working with athletes. So I went back to school, got my PhD in exercise and sports science and really wanted to work as a sports psychology consultant or mental performance coach with athletes from peewee to like, like, you know, weekend warriors. Like it didn't really matter to me if you were out there trying to get better in a sport. I wanted to be the person to help you to try to get better in your sport. And so Tim, what about you, man? What got you into playing sports early in your, in your career and your life? I grew up in Newark, uh, Newark, New Jersey. So I was first generation uh, African, West African, my family from Liberia. And uh, my parents opened an African restaurant um, on uh, Avon Avenue in Newark. And uh, I used to get beat up a lot as a kid. Like I used to get bullied. And so uh, one of the first things I did, I love basketball. So I play, I will play basketball and I'm out. This is my claim of fame. Uh, I'm in Shaq's first ever video he shot. It was on a basketball court down by the boys and girls club. So I'm in that joint putting, putting the working on somebody. And um, yeah, so it, sports were the equalizer for me. Like, you know, when, when I actually develop like decent skills, like um, people left me alone and that was it. I was like, oh, this is easy. So I just play this sport and people were like, will cheer me on and leave me alone and actually like become my friend. So this is like a six, seven or eight year old kid. And I was like, bet that's what I'm going to do. So whenever we play, we'll play basketball. Tennis was the actual first, first sport I learned to play through the boys and girls club. Um, always have that memory. So tennis, basketball, football, uh, they get into baseball, but, um, and then soccer, because that's, you know, something that my, my country, my home country, my parents country love to play. So that was it. We just play sports all day, every day. And it kept me out of trouble. Uh, and it also kept me from being bullied. So that was that was really my my first motivation was just to, to stop getting picked on and stop getting bullied. That's what's up. Yeah, I'm with Des, man. Baseball was my first love. Um, I played it up until high school. And then I shot up from like 5'10 to 6'3. And everybody was like, yo, you too tall to play baseball. Like tall black dudes play football and basketball. And I was like, wait a second. I'm playing the wrong sport <laughs> and made the pivot. And that was the biggest mistake of my life, man. Baseball was always my, my favorite sport, probably what I was best at. Um, so yeah, shout outs to baseball, man. We need more brothers in that sport too. And so um, to sort of like move a little bit further down the line, Dom and Dez, 
Um, when did you start really getting serious about your potential to play professionally, right? Like, you know, we talked about how you all started, but like, when was that sort of aha moment for you that you realized like, man, I could maybe make this into a living versus something that I really love playing and love doing? It first hit me, I would say when I was in college. When I was at Rutgers, my first couple of years were a little rough. I got hurt. Um, anyone knows when you're in a big program, when you get hurt and guys start coming in and start passing you, it kind of gets hard on you. You kind of start losing confidence. I was ready to transfer. I was like, you know what, man, I can't do this. Like, I'm maybe football isn't meant for me. And then uh, it was spring ball. Spring ball, I went out, and I just started just playing really well. Just one day, everything started clicking for me. And that season, I ended up starting every game. And after the season was over, I had uh, – one day I was sitting there, and my phone started ringing from this weird number. And it was an agent who called me and said, I guess, they had a, the preseason rankings came out, for, I guess, for the, for, the pre, for the upcoming draft. And you have a high grade, I guess, based on your numbers. I would say I probably got about 80 phone calls within the next three weeks from different agents, different people calling. I was like, wow, this is, this is great to happen. Like, this is real now. Because I mean, before that, like you, you hear it, you see guys going through it, but my phone wasn't ringing. I wasn't getting a bunch of looks or anything. So I was kind of like, yeah, it can happen, but I don't know. And once the call started happening and people started coming to me and meeting with me and one of the different things and all that, that's when I was like, you know what? This is this is great to happen. Um, and my senior season, I ended up doing really well and got invited to the All-Star game. And that's when I was like, okay, this is, this is really happening now. I'm starting to really believe that me making it to the pros is going to happen. Like, I know it's going to happen now just because of how well I was playing, um, how I stayed healthy for the first time in a long time, um, just the different things that teams were telling me. So uh, it was, I would say, the end of my junior year going to my senior year when I realized that my my, my, my dreams and my goals were great to happen. Uh, for me, it was um, my sophomore year in college because I went to a really small school. And to be honest, we wasn't good at football. We was actually terrible. So... To play, we played against, uh, I believe it was Jari Evans, who, who played for the Saints. But he went to Bloomsburg University, and we played against him. And they blew us out. His team blew us out, but I played, like, really well. Then afterwards, uh, one of the coaches that was in the booth came up to me after the game. He was just like, yeah, man, um, the Bill Scott was asking about you. I'm like, oh, for real? He's like, yeah, the Bill Scott was asking about you. And I was just, I'm just a sophomore. And then going into that next year, like I was one of the top 150 receivers in the country on all levels. And then after my junior year, I was top 100. I was like 95. And I'm like from little old Cheney. Like, it's, you don't hear about nobody from Cheney that, that played football. And that's kind of when it really hit me that, you know, I got an opportunity to make, make it to the NFL, to live out my childhood dream. But then at the same time, that dream started to vanish because Going into my senior year at Cheney, uh, I played basketball, I ran track there. So the basketball coach, he ended up leaving, going to um, another school. They fired the track coach. Then they uh, fired the football coach. So I'm like, I'm, I'm at this school, I don't have no coaches. So I'm leaving. And my dad was actually the assistant basketball coach there. And he said, he's going to put in the app for the head, head men's basketball coach. And, um, and we decided if he get it, I'm going to just stay and play basketball and graduate and then transfer. So that's what I did, but I transferred to a school that I thought had the best interest for me. One of the main things for me transferring to the schools was they had to have a, a grad program that I was interested in. And they flew me out, said all the right stuff. I spoke with the 
the uh, person that ran the, the grad program, I did it all. And then I signed, and then two weeks later, they was like, oh, we dropped the program. So you got to choose another one. And then I just was like, man. And then going into that year, I didn't play. I was like, barely used. I had four catches. That's when I was like, man, this is a wrap for my dream. I ended up having my uh, my first son, Dom Jr. So I got a job. And I was working at LA Fitness. And then while I was training these these people, I had got a phone call from a weird number, just like Dad said, from a number that I didn't know, didn't know anything about. So I, I ignored it. Thought it was a, a bill collector. And it was, a, um, it was a coach, Coach Cromwell from the Rams. And he asked me, he invited me out to a, a training camp. So after that, it was all history. I just had had a chip on my shoulder after that. I, I think uh, the, the funny thing about like the stories that resonate with me is that random phone call, <laughs> that, I, that random number. Like you just, it's uh, when you're an athlete and I think this transcends across different fields. I'm not going to say every field, but um, when you're, performing or doing something well there's always somebody watching and so like you know uh one of the things that i would say we all as um athletes our young days we just somebody is still hard working us i don't know whether it was internally or some some person just got up got with us and just introduced us to the sport or whatever but somebody is still hard working us and then you know we just kept on working so like for See, for you, Dom, like, you know, yeah, a lot of, and the thing that, that resonates with your stories, a lot of people don't know, like a lot of guys who have long careers, sometimes the guys who their first job was the supermarket, LA fitness, personal trainer sales. How many football players we know were winning the pharmaceutical sales, a medical sale, all kinds of things. And then you get that call. And then, so you, that extra motivation is there. That chip on your shoulder is there. Um, mine's came honestly probably my junior year going into my senior year my first two years I would say at Michigan were definitely a disappointment um, I changed I was a receiver in high school so then when I got to Michigan coaches told me and it was funny because during my recruiting process all the coaches said you're gonna be a tight end like you gotta get this just receiver thing I was like nope nope I'm not so I did not a lot of schools because they told me that I was gonna end up being a tight end and I just said I want a shot just give me a shot. Let me do it. And Michigan was one of the only schools that said, all right, we'll give you a shot. So I get it to Michigan. Mind you, I never touched a weight before in my life in high school. I did a little 225. I never, I was always working out, playing different sports. So I never really got in the weight room. I had my first weight room off season in the summer before training camp. I put on 25 pounds of muscle, like between eating and working out every day, I just blew up. And so my receiver coach, Eric Campbell, called me the claw because my uh, blocking on the perimeter, when I got a hold of them cornerbacks, it was over. <laughs> so somebody was on the sideline or eating grass somewhere. So um, he was like, listen, so I didn't, the conversation came with like, here's, here's, here's the deal. You either going to sit behind these group of receivers for the next two years to get a shot your senior, junior year, or you're going to transfer it, or you're going to switch the tight end and play next year. And it was a no-brainer. I switched the tight end. I played. And it was a learning curve for me, you know, just trying to learn a new position, learning blocking schemes. I never really blocked. I was always on a perimeter. So it was a learning curve. But um, long story short, my junior year, I really had a great junior year, made all Big Ten. And then so that's when those calls started to come. Like, hey, this is uh, 
you, you know, you got a high draft grade. You got a potential to be a second or third round tight end. At that point, I was like, oh, crap, this is happening. Because I, I just wanted to graduate. My my goal, my priority, my promise to my mom was graduate, get my bachelor, and keep it pushing. But when it became like a reality, it was like, oh, this is a reality. Then I just rolled the wave pretty much. Like, it was just like, because you don't know what to expect. You just listening, hopefully, to some good people. Sometimes it's not always true. But you're just riding the wave until that moment comes, which is, you know, getting drafted, getting signed by that team. This is the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. The one thing that you guys said earlier, and Dr. Coakley, I want to get your opinion on this, was like, what playing that sport did, Dom, you talked about discipline. You know, Dad, you talked about structure. And you also talked about losing confidence and gaining confidence, right? So I would say those are some of the things that are aligned with developing. Right. With, with youth development, we talk about youth development. And Dr. Coke, you talked about working with families and the trauma they endured in our city in Philly. So one of the things we're experiencing right now is this uh, gun epidemic, a shooting epidemic. Right. We're, we're losing a lot of kids. And here it is. Some people who grew up in Philly where there was structure through via sport. There was there was uh, there was a path towards something via sport. So um I just want to talk a little bit and ask Dr. Coley, what are some of the themes that you that come up for you when you're working with student athletes as far as their mental health? What are some of the things that some of the bigger things that or trends that you see when these athletes come into a big time program like Temple University or even with your work that you did with the Eagles? What are some of the the struggles that you've um, worked out with athletes working through? I think what I always say is just because you're an athlete doesn't mean you're immune to the things that everybody else experiences. So I see everything that the general public experiences in my work with athletes at Temple. I see student athletes who have been traumatized, all kinds of trauma, big T trauma, little T trauma, but like many little T traumas that culminate into big T trauma. I see a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety, a fair amount of disordered eating, particularly after the pandemic. That seemed to, when you asked about trends, that seemed to be an uptick. Um, and one of the things that people don't talk about is disordered eating in male athletes. So in November, we just had a, a woman come in to talk about it because it's, it looks different in male athletes and they, and male athletes do not talk about it. And also male athletes don't even recognize it as disordered eating because they're not like waif thin and don't appear to be somebody who is experiencing um, anore bulimia or anorexia or something or restricted eating. But since the pandemic that has surged a little substance abuse. One of the things, so right now, lots of people, way more people are talking about math, mental health and sport lately, but there's still a stigma associated with it. And people are still trying to self-medicate. And with that comes the risk of becoming addicted or dependent on substances like alcohol, uh, marijuana, or anything else, pills. And it's it's more so to self-medicate. So I'm seeing it all. I'm seeing everything. And then there's a lot of complicated grief because not only did the pandemic cause us to actually lose people's lives. So people, especially in our community, uh, everybody's probably on this Zoom probably knows somebody who has 
become ill, very ill, or passed away from. I stopped counting probably in last May. I stopped counting. And so we've all we've all experienced grief, but not just like the grief from a loss of life, but grief from loss of graduation, loss of season, loss of career, unexpected loss of season, unexpected loss of career, unmet expectations due to the pandemic that caused serious effects from grief and loss. And we're, we're going to be, you know, uncovering the effect for years and years and years of all these, these losses so near to each other. And so, you know, they keep coming. So those are some of the things, but I just want to point out that athletes aren't immune. Every, they, they experience what everybody else experiences and I'm seeing all of it. Uh, I mean, all of it in the work that I do with athletes at Temple. And that's why we wanted to have this conversation, right? Is because so many people don't apply that common sense to athletes, professional athletes, college athletes, high school athletes, Pop Warner, whatever it may be. It's like we separate the mental health component and the stress of being a human being from playing this sport, right? Like all three of you, Tim, Des, Dom, you all mentioned how like at some point in your trajectory, even in making it to the pros, you had the question, is this for me? Can I do this, right? Like Dom, you were working at LA Fitness. Um, Des, you had to fight through injuries. And so many times people don't think about the human component. We just see this person performing high. We have this expectation that they're an athlete. So no matter what they're going through, like they'll be okay. And that's not the truth. Um, and so, you know, Dr. Coakley, thank you for providing that context there. Because again, you know, when Tim and I were talking about upcoming episodes, like this was one of the ones that we really wanted to dig into because it's just not real, right? Like y'all are human beings, man. Like y'all go through hurt and pain and frustration the same way everybody does. Um, and that expectation that like, suck it up, be a man, get over it. It's just not realistic, man. I think I just want to point out, you know, being an athlete does have some protective factors though. So some of the protective factors, like, like the hard work and the discipline and the having something to be like driving towards. So that motivation and also like team and, you know, being connected to a group and working towards a common goal, physical activity. I mean, those are all when we talk about things to help people recover or cope with mental health conditions, we talk about like not isolating and being with other people. We talk about physical activity. And so being an athlete, certainly there are protective factors associated with it. However, there are also some risk factors that are also associated with it, um, like injury and like having to move from place to place to place to place. So you're not really connecting with a community, but yeah, at the end of the day, humans, human beings, people who have issues and things to deal with as like everybody else. And so Dr. Dr. Coley, thank you for that, those protective factors, because I, I definitely akin them to having boundaries and, and structures, and they go into that idea of routines and rituals when you talk about how do you deal with trauma, having expectations of what's going to be there next, or, you know, you don't have to worry about something surprising or coming out of nowhere, which is like what re uh, replays that traumatic experience. So, but I also know, and, and Des, um, you can chime in and Dom can chime in. I also know that uh, those protective factors, especially when you get to that professional level, there is a component to just really masking, masking some of the uncovered issues that you haven't dealt with throughout your life, right? So if you're dealing with depression, um, your your consistent routine keeps you 
in a line with, okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, right? This is my structure. This is my day plan. Especially when you're a pro athlete, you have your season plan and a portion of your off-season plan, right? So then, Des, can you talk to me a little bit about maybe some of the things you saw or experienced uh, with either your teammates or, or with yourself that you knew something wasn't quite right, but how a guy kind of like lived their life where maybe they might have been some mental health issues. What's some things that came up for you? Well, okay, there was a guy in college and we knew early on in his career, he had a few head injuries, a few few bad ones. He got knocked unconscious before he was snoring a few times. And after that, he was around practice. He was around, but he wasn't around too much um, for a few years. And his senior year, he came back and started playing. When he came back, you knew that he wasn't himself. Um, he was always by himself. You see him over there, like talking to himself at times. And that's not the person that we knew when he first came in. He was always really up and joking around with everyone. You know how it is when you guys, everyone's hanging around, everyone's kind of in, in, in the whole locker room, kind of had little groups talking. And, and I know with us at Rutgers, we had different cubby areas. So your, your, your little cohort area was where you could, the guys you kind of got close to because you're always around each other. And he wasn't really talking to anyone. He would come in there, and um, and me as one of one of the captains on the team, I pulled him aside and started talking to him. And even when I was talking to him, it didn't make sense at all what he was saying. And I brought it up to the head coach. They sent him out to get help, and no one's ever really seen him since. Um, that's the part that's kind of scary about it. You see something like that. You've seen guys who have a different like uh, different anger issues, um, do different things. Um, you see guys who will be one fine one second, you say one wrong thing and they explode. And it's like, yo, you good, man? Like, you're just joking. I mean, you can't joke like that. It's like, well, everybody's laughing. I'm sorry, man. I mean, I didn't mean to cause any problems. You see certain guys who, um, and this is one thing that hasn't been talked about. When you get injured and you're in that kind of setting, it really plays mental, mentally, um, mental issues on you. Like, your, your mind goes crazy just because. You, I know for me, I had never really been hurt before college. So you've always kind of been a star athlete, never been hurt. And now you're hurt. Now you're trying to get back to your normal self. And you, and you're now your body works different. Now they've went and you had surgery. Like I had shoulder surgery my, first, my freshman year. Trying to come back from that was hard. Now they have me in there in a sling every day lifting. And now I'm trying to get back and... I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with the pain every night. I don't know how to deal with, with uh, rehabbing every single day to come back just to play a sport that I, I know I'm, I'm good at. You have setbacks at times. And those setbacks were really kind of threw me off. Um, there were times where I thought everything was going well. And now they're like, well, now we have to go in and, and, and fix something because the surgery didn't go as planned. So now, this, now being out a whole season turned out, now being out part of a season turned to a full before next season. Um, and that's kind of hard to, to, to really uh, still sit there and play through. So um, there, there's a lot of things. I mean, there's there's countless of guys that I've seen come through who have um, had me mental health issues. Um, and that's where you just gotta, you just gotta try to talk to guys and, and just try to just be there for them sometimes just, just to listen. And sometimes you just need somebody just, just to vent to. Um, and that's something that you lose when you kind of leave that, that team setting. I mean, you're there one second. I know, uh, Dr. Dr. Coakley, you were saying how being in that team setting can kind of help you sometimes. But when it's taken away from you like that, and you have it every single day, I mean, as, as athletes, you get into a regimen, like, this is how I do every single thing. Every single day, I did the same thing before practice. 
the same meal after practice, usually the same routine. And when that routine is cut and now I'm back home sitting around everyone else around the house asking questions, it's like, I don't feel like being here. I want to be with the guys. And you don't have that anymore. That's that's another really tough part too. Thanks for that, Des. I think that's, I definitely resonate with that. Like that grief. And I call, I think it's called, it's, it's a sense of grieving, grief and loss. When you lose that system, when you lose that camaraderie, that's when you talk to like, retired athletes whether it's football or any sport especially team sport that's the number one thing that a lot of guys say and you would think it's the money but it's the camaraderie the, the camaraderie your teammates that 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 fellowship you when you lose that it has a huge impact on your mental emotional health so thanks for bringing that up man and then you know dealing with injuries dealing with injury they, the thing with injuries to me is aligning with feeling like you have failed at an expectation, right? So I expect to have this type of year. I expect to play this type of game and then I get injured and I can't fulfill that. And so while everybody else moves forward, I'm on the sideline just watching and having to like get back, like you said, get back, but also like you're in a different regiment. You're in a regiment to where you're trying to like heal your body and mentally nobody, at least for me, when I went through injury, nobody was checking on mental health when I was trying to come back, it was all about my body being back better, right? So it wasn't about my mental or my emotional states. It was all about building my body better so I can come back and contribute to the team, whether that was college or pro. So I appreciate that perspective, man. That, that, that's, I think that's very important. Dom, any, any, any feedback you got, Dom, for like what well, some of the things you saw? I know for me, some of the things that I definitely saw for sure was substance abuse like college and pro and i admit definitely you know i struggled not necessarily struggled but i definitely participated in over excessive use of alcohol um so that but that was the norm so that's another thing normal trends right that was kind of like what we did we we played extremely hard we we worked out hard and so everything we did was like a thousand percent to the max including partying and hanging out so that's when folks see a lot of athletes when they get into trouble. It's a conditioned experience. I, you know, I'm not going to generalize, but it's very much conditioned that you work hard, you play harder. <laughs> the harder you work, the harder you play. And uh, that, that's what happened, right? So substance abuse became an issue. Um, just uh, uh, volatile or toxic relationships was an issue I saw. Uh, infidelity, you know, with guys who are married, who are pro. Um, there was something there about just being able to commit. Uh, I, I think if I could theorize, one of the things was um, just uncertainty. When you're when you're making decisions, you made a decision based off of how somebody looked or what they presented, but there wasn't really time to get to know that other person, right? So you're in a marriage and you're really not ready to be married. And so, you know, you have a high divorce rate in the NFL, I think other leagues as well because of those things that are foundationally important were not established in the beginning, you know, it's just kind of fall into. So that's the thing about pro athletes a lot is we, we fall into a lot of negative maladaptive behaviors just because of the trends and what has been done traditionally for years. But we really, really openly took time to really talk to each other about our mental health and our emotional state. So Dom question for you. I know you're on the move, but like, what are some of the things that you felt you saw were some of the mental health issues that 
you know, your teammates or you experienced? Uh, one, one of my teammates I uh, experienced just from being on a practice squad, literally being here Monday, going Tuesday, back Thursday, going Friday, brought back the following Wednesday. Like, he didn't know what to do with his life because he just was so all over the place. Um, and he struggled with it because he'll be on a practice squad, he'll come in, he'll, he'll put together a great week of practice, but he wouldn't see the field, he wouldn't get brought up, and he'll get cut. And then he'll get picked up by another team, and it was like a never-ending story for him. So he really struggled with believing in himself. He felt like he wasn't good enough, and it, it was tough on him. Um, he ended up uh, drinking a lot, gaining weight, and then eventually he couldn't find a team because of, of his weight issues. Uh, and for me, it was just the, the, the me kind of grasping um, being cut. Uh, it was the first time I ever got cut. I've never been cut before, literally ever. And to have somebody bring you up to the office and literally tell you, like, you know, in a nice way, but basically saying, like, you're not good enough for this team, um, that that hurt. So when I first got cut by the Rams, they were in St. Louis at this time. I literally, after I got cut, I took it well right there. Um, I hurried up and, and got out the, uh, the facility because I didn't want to really see my other, see my teammates. And um, I drove straight to a, a drive to liquor store, like, straight to a drive to liquor store. And I bought me a couple bottles of alcohol and went home and just sat on my couch, didn't eat, and I just drank. Didn't turn the TV on, didn't call anybody, didn't tell anybody, and then my phone started ringing because, you know, it, it hit the news wire. So everybody's calling me like, ah, oh, what happened? I'm not answering no calls. I'm just literally sitting at home, just drinking my life away for like the next week because I didn't get a phone call from another team. And all I did was just drink. And that actually semi-spiraled out into a, a problem for me because all the trials I had, I was slightly hungover. When I, I went to a Detroit tryout and because, you know, you know, Des and, and some of y'all know, you don't know when you're going to try out. You literally will get called. Like, I got called right now, and they'll be like, can you make it to the airport by 6 o'clock? Like, it's either yes or no. And you should never say no, because if you say no, they might not ever call you back. And I got a phone call like that, and I just partied hard the night before. Like, super hard. And I was like, yeah, I can make it to the airport. And I went out there, slightly out of shape, and did – I literally did good enough to get signed by them. And when I got cut, I went back into my comfort zone to go drink. So when they cut me, did the same thing. And then they ended up bringing me back. I was out of shape because I didn't work out and I was just drinking and then I made the team again. It's like, okay, so I can make the team doing this. And then I got cut again. And I did the same thing over again. And I got called by the the Panthers and went out there and killed the workout and got signed. So it was like, man, I'm I'm just tired of getting cut and brought back. And I, I didn't know what to do with my mental. I had, at this time I had two children and I'm trying to figure it out for them, but I'm trying to make sure I stay ready. But I also got to create a career because I didn't play long enough to see that, that million dollar check to, to get those type of endorsements or receive those, um, 
player bonus checks because my years was around the lockout years. So all that, all those types of things started to like hit me. And I literally turned to alcohol and hanging out. That was the only time I really felt like people really cared about me was when I'm sitting in a section or at the bar and I'm buying myself and everybody a drink. And it didn't, it just, it just, instead of it, instead of it filling the void, it just literally made that void bigger because it turned into a problem that I wouldn't say I have a problem. I just like, I just like having fun. And cause I'm still young. I'm 20, 24, 25 years old. I really don't know. And uh, I eventually just stopped. Like I just stopped. I actually got a job and by me working, I started working with kids and by me doing that, you can't come in there drunk. So when I stopped doing that, um, like my life started really getting back together and I ended up playing um, uh, semi-pro in this team with California. They're really good. But after that, I just kind of was like, you know what? I don't even want to go back. I don't even want to try to get back in the NFL. I want to spend time with my kids. And then that's when I kind of just retired. And uh, also just injuries. Like that said, I got hurt my first seat. I got hurt my rookie year. Um, second game of the season. I finally, you know how it is being inactive. The very first game of the season, I was inactive. But it was just the atmosphere. Like that's when I found out, even though you made the 53, that don't mean you're going to dress. So you might be one of the inactive. So that was my first, very first game on the 53-man roster. I was inactive. Second game, I was active. Did okay. Going into the third game, I did enough to finally, like, receive, like, a package. And, Tim, you know, when you get a package on the offense, it's like, yo, like, you feel good. That's yeah. when, <laughs> yeah, that's when they, like, they they literally trying to get you the ball. And I had I had did it good enough in, in practice to get a package. And um, we playing, and then I block a punt. Boom, block a punt. So now I'm like, I'm geek. I blocked the punt. I made a tackle on special teams. I got in in the first quarter on offense. It wasn't my package, but I, the fact that I just got in, then on all the other team, other times I was in, I always did like something like blocking linebackers, like just laying out linebackers. And from a receiver point, like that's not something normal. So those types of things were just like, I just was so amped. And then I told me ACL. I didn't get hit. I didn't hit nobody. I just was running straight. Nobody touched me. Just was running, like flat out running straight. And it happened on the other team's sideline. But I remember it was actually on punt team. So I'm running down. The, the, um, the, the corner that was on me was running literally right next to me. He didn't touch me. And my knee went out. And I started gimping, started limping. He, he didn't block me. He stopped and looked at like, and then I was like, and I just took off and I tried to make the tackle. And you could tell he was like, like, what just happened? Like, was that, was that a part of the plan for you to try to do this? Cause he, cause when I started limping, he did not put his hands on me. He didn't try to do anything to me. And I tried to make the tackle. But when the guy was literally right in front of my face, I pushed him out of bounds, but I still was like, I couldn't plan off of my right foot. So I got up, you know, us men, we got pride. So I'm like, whatever you do, do not lay down in front of this sideline, in front of their sideline. Because I'm thinking, like, when I was in high school, college, the type of way those players act, I got to realize it's different. Even though we play against each other in the NFL, we still are part of a brotherhood. So they don't want to see somebody hurt. They probably would have helped me up. But I'm like, whatever you do, don't, don't stay down in front of their they sideline. So I got up. I made it halfway. And then I went down. 
and they came out, carried me to the sideline, test me out, carted me in the back, ACL. And when you back there in that locker room, there's no, when you back there in that locker room on an injury like that, there's nobody back there with you. You're sitting by yourself. And all you hear is the roars, the claps, the music of the arena. But you don't see nobody. You can't even watch. The, we ain't even have a TV in there to watch the game. I'm literally just sitting there. I didn't have my phone. I didn't have nobody. It's just me, the machine, and the pack of ice. And then the doctor came and tapped my leg and was like, ACL. So that was like that moment, like, it's a wrap for me. This is my NFL dream is, is over now. That's, that's, that's how I looked at it. And after that, had time happened, all the players came in, all the players, coaches, they did say something to me, but it's just like, you know, everybody give you the same face, give you the same double pat. It's all right, bro. Like, it's like, dang, man. And I'm 20, what else? 21, 22. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do in my life now. My, my, <laughs> I'm done, you know? So uh, that, that depression mode happens fast because the sudden change in the NFL is so quick. And that's why, like, I'm involved in NFLPA. That's why I'll be trying to talk to current players and former players and try to keep in contact with them because if we don't lean on each other, who we got to lean on? Because family leaning on us. They lean on us for money. They lean on us for every. Even if we don't got it, they looking at us like, you the person that we lean on. So now it's like, who do we lean on? So I always just try to make it my business to, to, to talk to other players, talk to teammates, just check up on them and uh, be involved with NFLP as much as I can. It's, it's so real on so many levels because as you say that, I could, I could imagine how many guys will listen to that story and literally can imagine it. And, and I, could, I could see the whole thing, literally see the whole thing from the getting hurt, not trying, to, not trying to show that you hurt and being in that locker room. But even at college, even at college for me, like my, my last year in Michigan, I tore my MCL last game of the season. Same thing. Once you go in the locker room, you buy yourself because they, especially mid game, because they're still trying to win the game. So the priority is the game is not necessarily the player. And I'm not, not knocking it. That's the reality. So you, you find yourself a lot of times isolated when you're trying to work out, when you're trying to make it back, you're, you're at the beck and, and, and you're at the mercy of the league of the team. That's going to give you the shot where, like I said, like, you know, somebody's always watching you work hard and you never know somebody's going to call you. It's the other side is you never know somebody's going to call you. When you want it, you can want it all you want, but it's up to them. So you're really at the mercy of the team, at the league, and it's hard. That that depression does settle in. That isolation does come in because as you as you have that locker room camaraderie, as you have that that brothership or that fellowship, doesn't it's not just about um, men or playing football, all sports, team sports, you also know that when you leave that space, if some of those those friendships and those fellowships aren't genuine, you could find yourself isolated a lot of times and alone and on your own. And like you said, when your family's dependent on you, whether it's financially or whatever it might be, if they become accustomed to that lifestyle and it's not there no more, sometimes they turn their back on you. And that's the reality of being a pro athlete. And so when you see athletes going through things that, you know, making tough decisions or, or have issues with substance abuse. These are some of the reasons why it happens. Everybody has a different reason, but these are some of the reasons why these things happen. You know, these, these experiences are real. That isolation is real. And, and like we said, it's human beings across the board. 
This is the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Thanks for that, Dom. Appreciate it. Dr. Dr. Coakley, for you, when you hear those things, um, what are some of the things you try to do with your student athletes to try to counter or address some of those things? What are the things that you work on at Temple with your student athletes? So um, before I answer that question, Dom, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story because um, I did my dissertation on the sport career transition from NFL. And I can tell you, I heard that story about just like, what am I doing now? And the couch and just sitting there, whether it was just doing nothing, whether it was drinking, whether it was using something else, like that is, you know, unfortunately it's common because it is such a shock. And it, it does put you in a state of what am I going to do because you were doing that, what you had planned to do, and it just got taken away. And so there's no plan B. So some of the things that we do, if a student athlete is hurt at, at Temple, more often than not, our athletic trainers reach out to us and my department immediately or within the next like 24 to 48 hours to let us know like the student athlete has been injured, somebody reach out to them um, to bring them in to at least have somewhere they can go to get support for all the things that they're feeling that are new and uh, confusing and uncertain. I can be honest, maybe 50% of the time a student athlete will take us up on that. Uh, that, you know, whether it's a male student athlete or a female student athlete, they think they have it figured out and that's fine. Like everybody has their, their process, but that's one of the things that we do. We offer because we know just like you all experience that loneliness, that isolation. We know that that's what that is. That's coming rather. When your team is traveling, you're back here recap rehabbing. Or when your team is practicing, you're in the athletic training room rehabbing. So we know that that isolation is coming, that sense of loss, here we go again, sense of loss is there, which usually leads to sadness, which when we're sad, we do different behaviors. Some people sleep, some people eat, some people have sex, some people drink, some people do all of that. <laughs> like, um, but it leads to certain behaviors that are not necessarily healthy. And so one of the things that we try to do is always talk about healthy, you talked about maladaptive behaviors, we talk about, you know, healthy coping with sadness. Loss and sadness are, as we mentioned, everybody who plays a sport, they're a human being, like you experience all these emotions. So they're natural emotions to experience when you have loss. But then there are some things that you can do that are gonna be more healthy for it. So one of them could be like getting seeking support, going to an athlete support group. So we do those kinds of things. And then we also, um, at Temple, we have a student athlete. We just started it this semester, a student athlete mental health advocate group. So just like Dom, how you're like, I'm looking out for guys who are current and former um, NFL athletes. We have our student athletes who are highly motivated because of their own experience, maybe, or somebody in their family, or maybe somebody on their team's experience. They are highly motivated to help student athletes who are struggling with mental health issues get what they need. And so they're, I call them my boots on the ground. So they're out there seeing their, their teammates over, you know, I think, what did you say, Tim? Overutilizing alcohol. <laughs> they're out there seeing their teammates drinking too much, maybe passing out, maybe just doing stuff that's uncharacteristic for them. And so if they see that, then they're going to, you know, they get some specialized training. They know some, some questions to ask. They're not counselors, but they know how to get them to us 
and then we can we can take care of them so those are two of the things that have you know that I guess that are different from when you all were um, in college where we have somebody who is getting you right to what you need whether you take advantage of it or not that I can't make anybody but we reach out and then we have our student athlete advocates who are like you know what you should go see Stephanie <laughs> you need to go talk to Ed or they can help you that I was there when I you know tore my labrum whatever the case and so to sort of stay in that lane um wanted to connect with Des, Tim and Dom just to talk a little bit about like the importance of honesty and vulnerability amongst athletes right and being able to like Dom I mean you you laid it out super clear um around like what you went through what your mind state was Des you did as well and so you know we see professional athletes make it to the pinnacle of success making tons of money but then still falling victim to substance abuse, right? Getting caught up in domestic violence. Um, as you had mentioned, you know, a guy has several head traumas and then all of a sudden was a different person. And so, you know, I would love to hear from you all, like, what do you see as the importance of being able to be honest, right? Like, you know, just this season in the NFL, um, we saw Lane Johnson step away from the game, right? And, and prioritize his mental health. Um, and the fans didn't love it. And, you know, people had all types of comments. Other former professional athletes had all types of things to say. But the importance of being able to prioritize your mental health in a moment when you're going through a crisis is so important. Um, and so we'd love to hear from you all, right? Like, what do you see as the benefit of being able to be honest, being vulnerable? And, you know, what are the benefits of being able to go and seek help? I'm, I'm going to start with this because this is something I know I'm definitely trying to work on so it's a two-part thing I'm, I'm trying to work on making sure that if I see a former or a teammate you know um whether it's pro or college and I ask how you doing I genuinely mean it right and on the other side that honesty of at least having that 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 confidence in my brother to, to respond like I'm not okay because that's the first thing we do when we see each other how you doing bro I'm good and you might not really be good, right? So I want to make sure that I'm intentionally, and that's a it could be a that's literally a treatment model, just honesty and I asking a question honestly, not just for you know cordiality, and also responding honestly because you never know, you know what kind of support resources that person might have for you. So that's the first thing is asking that question honestly, how you doing, and answering honestly, I'm good or I'm really not good. And that's the first thing that I would say, it's the, it's the, it's one of the biggest hurdles because there's a lot of pride and ego that comes with it. But that's the, also the thing that keeps us in that isolated space where we don't want to connect with each other and we don't want to talk about what's going on is because we are, we're struggling with shame and guilt that we're not okay, right? So, and it's, again, it's a human thing. The same things happen with folks who don't play sports in every, every industry everywhere. So just really working on that ability to be vulnerable and answer that question truthfully, like, no, I'm not okay. That's something that I would say is really important within our brotherhood, within our fellowships, different sports, different teams. Like when we ask each other, how we doing? Just really being in a space where we can answer honestly and then we can have some support to go with it as well. So that's something that I'm really trying to take on and embrace and own. Like when I ask that question, I don't just get the first answer, the knee jerk reaction. I'm like, no, really, how are you doing? And I just, you know, I'm putting it out there when I ask 
my brothers, when I ask my sisters in, in, the, in the sport, how you doing? Answer me honestly, answer me truthfully. And then we can maybe see what kind of support and help we can get for each other. Daz, what you think? Uh, uh, <laughs> there's a few things I want to say. Uh, I think as, as athletes, um, I know even for me, um, being, I know playing a sport like football, you're known as being like a person that can't be hurt. There's nothing ever going to be wrong with you. You're bigger than everyone. You're stronger. I mean, we we're on TV all the time. And to have, to say you have something going on with you mentally wrong with you, now that's national news. Now everyone knows your business. And it's something a lot of people don't, they, they don't want to put out there because they feel as though now I want to be labeled as being like this or like that. But everyone, like, there is no picture for what mental health looks like. And I've, I've learned that after working in the field now that mental health affects everyone in some, 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 some kind of way. Every single person deals with it, no matter what you look like, who you are. And just because you play football, just because you're on TV, just because you wear a number or make this, this money, doesn't mean that you don't go through those same problems as well. Um, and, and that's something that I know even for myself, like hearing Dom's story, I'm literally sitting here running back the story in my head. I'm literally just sitting here picturing what I was doing when I got that phone call and how it affected me, how, how I literally sat on the couch and just drank because just, I'll be, I literally, my phone would ring. I would put it down. I'm like, I'm not answering my phone. I'm not answering questions as to why I'm not playing. What's going on? How come I'm not doing this? How come I'm not doing that? I'm like, yo, man, leave me alone. Like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing now. My whole life has been geared and focused towards this and now it's going, what do I do? I have my college degree, but what do I do with that? I don't know where to work at. I don't know who to call for this and that. I mean, everything's kind of been kind of put in front of you and now I'm going to do it and you do it. And now you, now it's like saying, do it on your own. Now I'm going to find your own direction in life. And, and that's a really, really hard thing. It took me a while to get to the point where I'm like able to now kind of do things on my own and kind of, really kind of have some kind of direction in my life. Um, and, and there are, and even people around you don't even know what you're going through. I was talking to my mom um, last year and she had watched a few movies on football and injuries and, and she asked me questions and she had never asked. She said, Des, I never knew you were going through that. I never knew that you felt this way. I, and that was, she was at every game. We talked every day. And because of, of, the way that the coaches break you down and build you back up to be, nothing's going to bother you. Don't miss practice. You don't miss games. You don't, because you're sick, you don't miss time. Because you have death in the family, you don't miss time. There's everything around you is kind of like, you. how do I say it? Like, it's like you, you aren't human in a certain sense. You are a, a football player and that's it. And, and because of the way that they, I don't want to house everyone else, but because of the way that we were broken down and built back up, it's like, you don't, have certain feelings and emotions. You play football, you get up, you go to practice, and you you give us what, what we ask for. And anything outside of that, we will, we will get to it when it's time. But right now, football is priority number one. Um, and when you are brainwashed in a certain sense that way, it, it it really affects your life in so many other ways that you don't realize because you're not you're not seeing clearly. You're not saying that I need to make sure that mentally I'm okay. I'm not making sure that was like these aren't positive people I, I'm around or that drinking is the way that I handle this and that. Like Tim, I heard you say that you kind of normalize drinking. I I was thinking the same thing too. I did, I got hurt my freshman year and it was now it's party. <laughs> I'm hurt, 
I'm not playing. I'm not around anybody on the team all the time. I'm always by myself. So that was drinking party. And it hit me one day when a guy saw me at a party. He was like, Dash, you aren't drunk. You always drunk. And I was like, dang, man, I, I can't come out and be sober. <laughs> and then that's when it kind of hit me like, all right, I need to slow down with this. Um, and I did. But then when I got cut, it went right back to it. I went right back to that, to that comfort zone of being alone, being by myself and just drinking. Like I literally just drank and drank. And even when Dom said he got the calls, I got a call to go to Canada. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go to Canada because you go there, you got to stay there for a couple of years. And um, I haven't been working out. I've been drinking. They had my plane ticket bought up. They had my plane ticket done, my housing set up. They had everything set up for me. And when it came time to go, I didn't show up. And I wasn't in shape. Um, doctors, I knew that I was having like really bad back problems still. Um, and I was like, I don't feel like popping pills every other day. I don't know what these med what these pills are, taking my stuff just so I can get through a season. I don't have it in me anymore. I just don't, I don't. Um, so it, there's just so many, I'm, I'm glad we're having this talk because there's so many things that just aren't being talked about and aren't, aren't addressed as far as mental health. And I feel as though it's getting better but still, I feel like guys, once they feel like they say something, because if you aren't established, if you say something, now you'd be labeled as this. And now that makes you like someone who was liable and makes you now like, we're going to get rid of you because now you're in this label health. Now you're unstable. So now we don't want you. So and I know Tim and Dom know this. When you're when you playing football, you have an injury. If it's not serious, you don't say anything. If something's going on, you keep that quiet. Because if, if you say something, now you are creating an issue that can now cause harm to that to that to that brand, and anything that can bring that brand down. Well, as far as when I say brand, I mean the teams. They want to get rid of you. They get rid of you fast. Like literally, I got. I remember I got hurt hurt my my back in a workout in Tampa, and I wasn't going to say anything. I was struggling at practice. One of the O line assistants came up to me and said, "Daz, I see you like you're hurting pretty bad." I said, "No, nah, coach, I'm not." He said, "Daz, you are. I'm telling you to go and get and get treatment because." You don't have too many more. You don't have too 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 many, too many more more uh, days around here. And I looked at him like, "What?" I got treatment that day. That very next day, I was eating lunch, and they had a, another guy across from me who wasn't on the team. I'm like, he plays the same position as me. They brought him in for the rookie workouts, and literally by the end of the day, I got cut, and he took my spot. Like literally that fast, I got treatment one day. The very next day. They had the guy who was taking my my place eating lunch right across from me without me even knowing that he was going to take my spot. It's just, it's, it's, it's just sad that the, the, the business works like that, but you understand this is a business at the same time. But we are people and we need to, to make sure that we're okay first because if we're not okay, it affects everyone around us. And that's something also I had to realize that it wasn't, what I was doing wasn't just causing harm to me, it caused harm to my family because now they're stressed out and they're, they're worried about me. Um, my friends and everyone who was kind of in, in my circle was being affected by the choices and, and, and the things that I was, I was doing without me even realizing um, until later on, I started seeing the, the whole big, the whole big picture. Um, so that that's my stance on it. And Dom, this end, end with you. What, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking it starts. It starts at a young age. Uh, we got to have these conversations with, with our youth. And it's just for me working in the schools. And I remember, cause I teach, I, right now I teach sixth and eighth grade science. And uh, I remember uh, I was walking around my, my student's desk and one 
And one student, no lie, he was like, he was like, Mr. Curry, he didn't know I played in the NFL. So when he found out, he was like, Mr. Curry, you went from the NFL to this? I was like, yeah. He was like, tragic. Like, tragic. Like, what do you, I'm like, what, what do you mean by that? He was like, you went from literally playing in the NFL to teaching here in North Philly. Tragic. I said, it's actually not tragic. I couldn't even have, like, that real conversation with him right then and there. But I let him know, like, it's, it's not tragic, man. And it just goes from the mindset from that. And then another time I had a conversation with some students. And I was like, when y'all when y'all think of here at NFL, what do y'all think? They was like, football, girls, parties, money, good cars, big houses. That's all they think. That's all they think about. So no matter if you play a day in the NFL, they automatically think you're rich, off the rip. And then also with me coaching you football, I see how these parents are pushing their kids because some of them never made it to that level. So they're trying to push their children to make it to that level. They're trying to live through their children. Um, some of them hear what other people say of how good your, your son is or daughter is, and they run with it. And with people that's really using youth sports to make money, they're opening up bigger cans and bigger fish to fry for us parents and for us people because now you got 10 year olds that's ranked number one in the country. He may not grow, but he's the number one ranked left tackle in the league and let him be 18, 19. He's still 5'10", 170 pounds. He's not being that left tackle in the league. So what I try to do is I try to be real with them. I try to be open book when I talk to my players. When they ask me questions, I just let them know. I always ask them how you feeling. And I tell, I talk to them as well. And there's been a couple of times where I did talk to them about what I battled. I don't talk more so about the drinking part, but I would talk about depression. I talk about losing my spot when I'm playing. What did I do? How did I mean? As a receiver, uh, we got to catch the ball. And I always talk to them. My son, he, my oldest son, he plays wide receiver. He had a year where he had a lot of drops. And I, I didn't tell him, like, what to do. I just told him how I was able to cope with that and get over that. So letting them know, like, even though we're in the NFL, we make mistakes. We go through things just like regular people do. And they have to look at us like regular people. The fans, the, the world, they put us on a pedestal that some of us don't actually be put on. And when they realize, like, you're down to earth, you're a normal person, that's the first thing they say. I didn't know, know this how you is, Don. I didn't, I didn't know you'd be like this. Like, how am I supposed to be? I'm supposed to be obnoxious. Uh, my nose turned up to you because I play in the league. Like, they have their own persona of NFL players. And just like that said, we're supposed to be tough. We're not supposed to feel hurt. So I try to make sure that the people I coach, I ask them, how are you? I, I don't only ask about football. I ask about life. What's going on? You know, making sure they're eating because that with them growing up, that could be something that's that's messing with them. You know, what's going on in school? Like, you okay with uniforms? Do you have enough like sneakers and things like that? Because those little things can create mental problems that they're not going to say because they don't feel comfortable talking about it. So I just try to make sure that they understand that at your early age, listen to your body for one, and make sure that you're able to talk to someone that you truly trust. Don't talk to everybody. But someone that you truly trust, because sometimes we just need somebody to listen. We may not need advice back. We just need that open air because we can't really talk to nobody. Because even when we was in the league and we would talk to our teammates, our good friends that are also in the league, they're going to tell us to try to sweep everything under the rug. Like, all right, man, yeah. I could be like, yo, man, I'm struggling with depression. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm tired of getting cut and then picked up and cut again. Instead of them saying like, yeah, go talk to a professional, they like, yeah, man, that's how it is, man. You just got you got to do what you got to do, dog. You got you got toughen it out, man. You got, you know, you got to get with that team and stick. Like it's like, 
bro, I just told you I'm going through depression. And, and instead of you saying like, maybe you need to talk to a professional or just listening, you won't give me, suggest me to, to sweep it under the rug and do what I got to do just to get picked up again. So those type of things, it just goes on. And we got to be able to talk to each other and listen to each other. So I, I think starting at a young age with these kids, because my son team played, played down in Florida for the national championship. And when I was talking to all these other teams and players, and coaches, everybody down there think they make it to the NFL, which is okay. But the the truth is, everybody's not going to make it to the NFL, and these kids don't understand that. So that's 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 all I got. That's how I'm gonna end it. I appreciate that, uh, Dev. Appreciate that, Doctor Coakley. Any any final words? Any any final thoughts? Um, yeah, you know, I always got something. <laughs> um, based on all the things that I'm I heard you all experience, that's why I really got into it because other like how nobody was talking about it and nobody's advocating because it's not true that if somebody's dealing with depression that they're unstable and you can't depend on them. If they're dealing with untreated depression, 100%. But our kind of theme this year for Mental Health Month was mental health is health, period. When we stop talking about like the brain, like it's over there somewhere and not connected to our body, uh, we're going to progress leaps and bounds with this, with these issues, because what happens with our mind affects our body. And so it, once we're treated, like once my ACL is treated, it gets better. And then I could go on and, you know, return to my sport. And it's the same thing with any kind of mental health issue. It's the untreated or it's the self-medicated that is problematic. But if somebody has a mental health condition and they are being treated by a professional and if they need medication, they're taking medication for that, that person is solid. <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are somebody who you can depend on because you know what? They're taking care of themselves. They're not leaving it up to chance that they might feel good today and, or not. So that, that's kind of where I want to say it's not mental health issues that make somebody. So that's false. Um, so I'm out here. In, I'm out here in these streets trying to like uh, speak truth to power um, in terms of what is really true about mental health conditions. Somebody who says that they need help is that's a sign of strength because we wouldn't tell somebody to sweep it under the rug if it was their MCL. <laughs> say, man, go to the trainer, go to the surgeon, get that taken care of. And so we need to have those same conversations. Um, I agree with you, Dom, at the young age, the sooner we get just to, to these young people, to our young people, to speak honestly about the fact that you want to prioritize your mind. If you really want to do these things with your body, you have to prioritize your mind. Sometimes you do have to take a step back. So that, that's kind of all I, I want to say. Yeah, your health, um, your mental health is your health. And we need to prioritize it 100%. Thank you, Dr. Copeland. Thank you, Des. Thank Dom. This was special today um, because the, the things that were spoken about today, I've lived it. I've experienced it. I've felt it. So when it hit home like that, you know, the conversation, this is, you know, this is why we do the Monumentals podcast, Monumentals podcast, because this is important. And this is something that resonates between our people, um, between our community. This is um, uh, a lot of our young kids, right, literally right now have these dreams and aspirations. They want to be and get to where we have been, um, no matter what the sport is. You know, this is not going to be something that's going to end where kids see sport as a way out. And it's a vessel. It is a tool. You know, it, it, it can be a a part of, of like you talked, like Des talked about earlier, getting out, right? What's getting out? Getting out's a whole mentality. That's a whole nother episode, getting out. You know, what are we trying to get out from? And it's real. There's a real reality that we want to get out. 
But at the same time, once we get there, we want to make sure that when we get there, we are healthy emotionally, mentally, and physically so we can enjoy it fully and then not be this kind of pressure cooker lifestyle and it's like fishbowl lifestyle where, you know, we don't feel good within our own body. Mal, any last words? Yeah, no, just to echo that, man, you know, Dr. Copley, um, Daz Dom, thank y'all for coming on and, and really being transparent. Tim, as always, thank you. Um, but also the, the piece around it has to start young. I love that all of you all are positioned in places where you're having conversations with younger folks about mental health, right? Because the earlier that you can start building those routines, the earlier that you can start normalizing the fact that what Des said earlier, we're all struggling with it, right? Like I, I was diagnosed with depression, uh, clinical depression at 15, and it changed my life forever, right? I, I've, I've had to normalize and then came anxiety, then came post-traumatic stress. And so like through all of those different phases and all of those different diagnoses, I had to continue to adjust. Um, and, and Dr. Coakley, you made a really good point. Once I got back on medication, once I really took my therapy seriously, once I stopped smoking weed all the time is when I really became the best version of myself, right? Like you're not a liability when you are taking care of it. And when you are aware of it, you're a liability when you're not doing the work. Um, and so, you know, the Mind Your Mentals podcast exists because these conversations really amongst the black community weren't happening. But then when you zoomed out amongst athletes, they're not actively happening at the, at the surface level. Um, and so anytime that we get a chance to have these conversations and we get a chance to bring on folks that made it to the NFL, that saw a professional league, that had a chance to live out that dream, but then also had to, to adjust to a different life, to a new normal. Um, and, and Dez and Dom, y'all really brought it, man. And, and Dr. Coakley, you brought it. I appreciate y'all. Um, you know, love y'all too, man. I wish y'all nothing but success. Um, I'm sure this won't be the last time that we have y'all on the podcast. So, you know, definitely look out for other episodes and other opportunities for us to connect because the message that you share today is important. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're getting it out to the people so that they understand, you know, the first step is realizing that you have something going on and then you got to do the work right? The same way you got in that weight room to get strong and the same way you practice your steps and your routes and, your, and you get your reps in, got to get your mental health reps in, man. It's no avoiding it. So, you know, Mind Your Mentals, um, this is another episode of the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Stay present and stay positive. Have a good one. Thank you as always for listening to an episode of Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always contact us through our Gmail account at mindyourmentalspodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us through our website, mindyourmentals.com. That's M-I-N-D-Y-A-M-E-N-T-A-L-S.com. Also, please make sure to follow us on all of our social media pages. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn at Mind Your Mentals Podcast featuring Tim and Mal on Twitter at mind underscore ya, that's Y-A underscore mentals and on Instagram at M-Y-M Podcast. As always, we really appreciate you. Stay present, stay positive, stay focused on your mental health. And if you ever need anything from us, don't hesitate to reach out.